welcome back to Thoughtvolution, the podcast where the thoughts of others meet evolving minds. I'm your host, Stefan Dubier, and I hope you are sitting down with a nice cup of coffee or tea, herbal tea in my case, I love fennel tea, perhaps a glass of wine with your favorite blanket or a bathtub full of bubbly goodness keeping you company on this rather cold winter day, because it's time for another story. My guest today is Dustin. He's 30 years old, happily married, just moved into his new home together with his wife Jordan and their two adorable kids, Aaron and Sophie. Life couldn't be sweeter, really, if it wasn't for Dustin making a shocking realization. He lost his faith in God, or perhaps never really had it to begin with? How could this be? How did this alter the life of someone who actually was a dedicated youth pastor for more than seven years at a Baptist church right here in the heart of the Bible Belt of South Carolina? How does it affect his relationship to his wife, who actually remains a devout believer? Is Dustin still the smart, goofy, laid-back, calm, and thoughtful guy his friends and family knew and loved before he discovered that he is actually an atheist? Did he lose all of his morals? Where does he find strength, encouragement, and comfort now that the Bible turned from holy book to fiction for him? Friends, we're in for a wild ride from heaven to hell and anywhere in between in this emotional roller coaster of a story. Well, let's give a warm welcome to Dustin because no matter where you personally stand and what your personal beliefs are, we are all human beings trying to make sense of this journey called life. Hi, Dustin. Before we dig into your life that you so graciously have agreed to talk to me about today, I would like to know what your personal definition of atheism is. Now, the Webster Dictionary defines atheism as a lack of belief or a strong disbelief in the existence of a god or any god. I will come back to how you ended up being an atheist yourself in a little while, but just so that our listeners are aware of your own understanding and definition of that term, can you please explain what atheism means to you personally and what being an atheist entails other than sleeping in on Sunday? Yeah, so to me, atheism is just what you said, Stefan. It is a lack of belief. Um, you know, when I was a Christian, and I know we'll get into it, when I was a Christian, I thought that atheist meant that you were actively going against God and that you not only didn't believe in God, but you were seeking to bring others away from Him. And so now that I'm an atheist, no, I would say that it's the exact opposite, that there is a claim on the table that someone gives to you and you reject that claim. You do not see the evidence of that claim. And so, yeah, you by default become an atheist. It's not something you choose, but it is a result uh, of rejection of a claim. And so there are, you know, many terms that people throw out with such as agnosticism, atheism, all these claims. Agnosticism is simply that you do not know uh, if there's a God or not, and you don't think there's a way you can know. Atheist especially myself, say that there is a way you can know. If God of the Bible specifically was real, then he could reveal himself in any way that he chose. Uh, but we don't see evidence that he does that. So until that evidence presents itself, 
There is no reason to believe, therefore, you're an atheist. One question that people will raise in that context is that when you don't have the Bible as your guiding light for morality, there is no morality. Where would you say, do you as an atheist find your morals? Did becoming an atheist make you an immoral person? Yeah, morality is definitely one of the subjects that I love talking about. When you're a Christian, everything is packaged up in this in this Bible, and it's got a bow on the top of it, and it looks you know great. Uh, but once you come out of it, you really see that Christianity has no uh, monopoly on morality. Uh, there are good things you can do outside of the Bible. And there are bad things that are in the Bible that it tells you that you can do or, or not do. Um, and so I think about it this way. Um, how is a moral standard such as uh, the Bible, how is it okay with slavery? How is it okay with other things that we see as today as completely immoral, but God says it's okay in the Bible? Not only that, when you look at other religions— they have moral codes, right? And so they have what's good and what's bad. And if you look at those countries that have those religions, um, they're not crumbling. They're not falling. They're doing great, most of them, actually, um, and treat their people great. And, and so it could go both ways, but ultimately it comes down to morality is subjective. I, I don't see an, uh, an objective good or an objective bad. But it takes each situation, engaging each situation to what you should or shouldn't do in that case. Now, let me ask the big question on everybody's mind so we can immediately address the huge elephant in the room. Not that you're huge or an elephant. <laughs> How does a youth pastor end up becoming an atheist? What happened? How did that happen? And was it an instant realization that you had lost your faith, or was it more of a progressive development? Yeah, this was definitely a progressive development. You know, I was so ingrained in the Christian Christian culture, it was my identity. Everybody knew me as this, this Christian boy and then turned youth pastor, and that's what people knew me for. I mean— uh, people would call me and, and ask for prayer. And and so how does that change into atheism? And I think it comes down to 1 Peter 3.15 that says, give reason for the for the joy that you have. Um, and I thought that was Christ. And so I was trying to give reason to that. And I loved debating. And I loved um, apologetics, which is defending your faith. And and so I was doing just that. I was debating a another person of faith in a different religion. And it he challenged me on some areas that I hadn't originally thought of. And so I dug into it to defend my faith better, not to not to seek, you know, atheism, but to defend my faith better. And after digging into church history, after digging into psychology and why we believe what we believe, I remember there was a night where I was washing dishes and and I was watching a video as I washed dishes and uh, it clicked in my mind that all these religions that I had 
uh, sought out and, and trying to be proved wrong, um, that if I held the same standard that I was holding, uh, or if I if I would hold my own religion to the same standard that I was holding these others, uh, it did not stand. I couldn't believe it. And I remember it clicked that night where I thought to myself, whoa, what if this is not real? And so after a year and a half of of trying to defend my faith, it then switched to uh, trying to uh, seek and see if my faith was even real at that point. And I remember I spent countless hours reading the Bible. I spent countless hours on uh, YouTube, listening to sermons, listening to different uh, arguments for God. I remember crying in my truck on my way to work when I was alone and trying to get God to give me an answer, or give me a sign, but nothing ever came of it. And the more I sought, the more I was disappointed and let down that I couldn't find this God that I had believed in my whole life. Um, but it ultimately came up empty, and so that's where I became an atheist. You know, hearing you talk about it, it sounds like it was an incredibly tough realization, like a grieving process. I mean, departing from everything that you knew, everyone that you knew, that must have been rough. It was by far the hardest thing I have ever been through. It was not an easy process at all. You know, I had these people that I had formed around me, my circles that everyone has um, around Christianity. And for that to, for, to, to have people that I looked up to, that I respected, that I trusted, and that I loved and that I thought, you know, loved me regardless, unconditionally, um, to have those ripped away and and just because of a belief, it was very, very difficult. I felt like they did not see me as Dustin anymore. They saw me as this enemy um, that was trying to, you know, trying to shield or trying to take away their faith when really I was just wanting to have a conversation. And because I didn't believe the way they did anymore, they saw me as not the same. And so that was very, very difficult. And it was a grieving process, almost like, uh, you know, a loss. You had to learn how to live again, who you could trust, who you could not trust, who still liked you and wanted to talk to you, and who did not. And I'm still learning that process. And I, I think it's going to be a process that I, that I have to endure for, for many, many years to come of, losing friends or people that you thought were once friends. And so it's been a difficult process and another hurdle that I've had to go through. But for anyone who is listening to say, you know, that this is an easy thing, that, you know, being an atheist is one of the easiest things you can do, uh, has obviously never been through it before. Um, I would not wish the process on anybody. Now, the freedom you experience and is it worth it all? Absolutely. I would do it again tomorrow. Absolutely. It's very sad to hear how lonely you felt when you went through this. Now, if there's anybody out there who's also struggling with not feeling 
that they belong to their church anymore or anyone out there starting to question their faith? What would be your message to them? My number one thing I would say to them is, you are not alone. You know, when I started this process, I was alone. I didn't really have anybody to talk to about this. And that's one of the reasons that I do do the, the call-in show is because I remember how it felt to have questions. And the only answers you could get were from uh, from pastors, and they weren't sufficient answers. And so, yeah, you're not alone, but always question everything. Keep asking questions. If you're not satisfied with the answers, then keep seeking, and you may find there are no answers, and that's okay too. Um, one thing that I don't want us to do is accept answers just because that's what we're told. And, and so, yeah, you are not alone. There are other people like you, probably in your church, that are just like you asking the same questions. So, you know, be outspoken about it. Be open and be transparent with who you are and the questions that you have. Don't be afraid to to share them with others. And I think that will really get the conversation going and not be so taboo about having doubts or having questions uh, within Christianity. So now that you are an atheist and you have shifted your point of view, what are some claims that Christians typically make that you now find to be implausible or unbelievable? I think a few of the absurd ones are that a snake talked, a donkey talked, uh, but certainly as I look more and more at other religions, the thought of a three-in-one somehow God uh, that you know, he's a father, he's a son, and a Holy Spirit, but they're all one. And he came down to earth, you know, to sacrifice himself, to fulfill his own self, so that we could all worship him one day. That was the, you know, the longer I'm out of Christianity, the more and more I contemplate how in the world did I believe this stuff. And so, yeah, there's a there's a bunch of them, but those are simple three. Dustin, let's use my little time machine back to the beginning of your life. We will go all the way back to Dustin in diapers, wearing a onesie, eating carrot mush, and probably hearing stories from the Bible on a regular basis like it's done in many American families. Where and how did you grow up? Is my assessment correct? How were you raised and what role did faith, God, and the Bible actually play in your family growing up? Yeah, so there, I remember a few times where we would go to church as as a young boy, but it was never a thing that our family took serious. Uh, I mean, there was a deep, you know, seated belief there, but nothing that we ever took serious. And so it wasn't until I was in uh, fifth grade where I went to a vacation Bible school service at a church and the pastor said, hey, you know, there's this God that loves you, and he, he wants to forgive you for the bad things that you've done. And for a, an 11-year-old kid, that sounds like an awesome thing. And so I said, yes, I, I want that. I want a God to forgive me for my sins. And so, yeah, I started um, really living for this God at that time. And I actually caused my parents to become more serious about God. And, and even today, they're leaders in a church. And so, yeah, it wasn't really heavily pushed on me when I was younger, but more of me seeking it 
out through middle school, through high school, um, and even in on college that I really started taking it more serious. So you go to church and you come home to your parents and you tell them, hey, this is now what I believe. What First of all, what was their reaction to that? And then how did it happen that they ended up becoming involved in church as well and even take on leadership roles? Yeah, I think at first uh, they really didn't know what to think about it. Uh, you know, their son started following this religion, which, like I said, they believed in God, but not as serious as, as some people and I took it serious. You know, I, I wanted to be the best Christian that I could be. I wanted to please this God. And so for them, I'm sure it was a shock of, of how much of a 180 my life did take because I did start following very, very closely. Um, and it wasn't long after that that I started inviting them. And they were, you know, they did not want to go at first. I'm not sure why. But as they did come... Uh, they wanted to get more involved, and they saw that the change that it was having in me, and they wanted that for themselves. And so over over a process, they became more and more involved in the church, um, and I became more and more involved. And so we turned in from a completely secular family uh, that believed in God on occasions to now, you know, we're all serving in this church together. And it was almost a family bonding thing that we did together. So it seems like religion at that point actually had a very positive impact on your life. And there may be some merit in religion helping people. There are certainly some good things about religion. Don't get me wrong. There is a community there. There is a structure there. You know, I, I know that a lot of... People have these stories of where, you know, I used to be hooked on drugs and and now I completely turned my life around and it's all thanks to Jesus. If you look at it, it's it's really more about their circumstances that are surrounding them than this divine entity. Um, because if most most of these people grew up did not have a, a community, they did not have people to support them and love them. There was not structure surrounded you know, surrounding their life. And so when they do turn to this Jesus, well, you don't just get Jesus, you get a community that loves you, or at least, you know, if you're following God, they love you. And you get this structure system and accountability and people telling you what to do instead of you just doing what you want. And that can be good for a lot of people, uh, especially that have never seen that before in their life. And it was the same For us, you know, we were just going through life, just living life. And so, yeah, then we had people that loved on us. We had a community. We had a family, you know. And so I'm not saying all of religion is this awful thing. Um, but there always is an asterisk on we will love you unconditionally Conditionally, <laughs> it's only under these certain certain circumstances can we actually show you love. Uh, and if you go out of those boundaries, uh, then that's where it starts to become a problem. And so, yes, there is some good things within religion, uh, but I don't think it's it's worth it that comes with the strings of it. Circling back to your parents, 
how is the relationship to them now that you've lost your faith and that the bond that you once created or at least strengthened uh, when you brought them to the church and helped them essentially become leaders there, how is it now that all of that is gone? I would be lying if I said it wasn't strained uh, just because they still believe, you know, and um, it is very difficult uh, not only that your parents are Christians, right, but uh, that you're the one that actually led them to this belief, and now you've abandoned it necessarily, and you still love them, but to know that you also have this different belief now, it is, it, it can be strenuous for sure. But you're still their son. I mean, there's in a family, there's got to be a bond that goes beyond believing and religion. I mean, when we when we raise our kids, we don't expect them to always do everything exactly the way we are doing it, right? We don't want we don't necessarily require them to listen to the same music, to dress the same way, to um, follow our life to the T. So there's still got to be something other than religion that is holding you and your family together. Yeah, and I want to make that clear as well. Like, I'm very thankful for my mom. When I first told her, you know, it could have went two different way, extremely opposite ways. But fortunately for me, it, it, it went good. She listened. She, you know, at least heard me out and didn't completely shun me. I have heard horror stories, but... Uh, my mom was not like that. She chose love, and so I'm very thankful for that and for my family uh, on that aspect of it. So, I mean, Christmas was just a little while ago, and I would assume that family functions have become a little awkward now, perhaps. Obviously, a lot of holidays have a Christian background that you now no longer celebrate as such. Have family functions been... A little strange lately? Yeah, there is a difference I have noticed. You know, I love talking about religion. I love talking about these things. Um, but there are times and places for that. And the holiday gathering is not necessarily the place. And I've actually had to, uh, this past you know, Christmas, we had a party that I had to say for my own peace of mind that I wasn't going to go to. Because there were family members that had, you know, crossed that boundary there. And and so that was a choice I had to make. Now, I still love my family. I still love going to events with them and hanging out with them. But religion is off the topic whenever we do meet. Obviously, you are very much a family man yourself. I've met your wife, Jordan, and your kids, Aaron and Sophie. And you guys truly are a beautiful, picture-perfect family. You both work hard to provide for those kids, and I know you care deeply about them. Can you tell us a bit about what life was like when you still were a firm believer raising your kids and being a husband? And how has your relationship shifted since? Yeah, so we used to, uh, before I became an atheist, used to want to instill values of them of integrity and honesty and hardworkingness and you know gratitude these types of attitudes uh, but now that I'm an atheist uh, 
we still teach the exact same thing. <laughs> and it's funny <laughs> that going back to morality of how you, you think all this is just wrapped up in Christianity, but it's not. It's just being a decent human being. And so, yeah, things have not changed a whole lot. We, at first, it was a little rocky. My my wife didn't know what to expect of me if I was going to you know, start doing these awful things. But once she realized that I'm still the same Dustin, uh, I think our actually our, our relationship has gotten stronger uh, because we have differences and we choose to love each other in spite of those differences. Now, as far as our kids, you know, she still has these strong values uh, of Christianity, and I want to respect and support that. And so I go to church with them. Um, and to be honest with you, some of the music's not bad. I enjoy it. They serve coffee there. It's not bad. Uh, but, you know, I just don't believe what they're saying. And so it does make for interesting car rides home. I try to not say that anything is wrong, but I at least ask questions to get my children thinking, to get my wife thinking. And so as far as home life, though, we, we're still the same family. We still love each other. We still have fun. Um, we just believe different things. How and when did you come out as atheist to your wife? Like, I would assume that she was the first person you wanted to tell about this and you felt the urge to tell about this. How was this and what was her reaction? Well, first of all, I did it all wrong, Stefan. I did it all wrong. So... Uh, if you ever find yourself asking yourself these questions that I did, please, if you have a spouse, if you have somebody that you love, have them go through the journey with you. Ask them questions along alongside you. I did not do that. I hid this to myself. Like I said, my identity was wrapped up in this Jesus guy. And so I was afraid to tell anybody what I was doing because I knew that there would be weird looks and questions and and things. So I hid it all to myself until one night we were sitting down to eat and I looked at my wife. I said, honey, I think I may be an atheist. And it freaked her out. She wanted to run. <laughs> she didn't know what that meant. She didn't know if I was going to leave her or if she needed to leave me or what. She just didn't know. Uh, we don't have many atheists around here. And so... Yeah, it took her a couple of weeks to realize that I'm not going to go do these awful things and I'm not going to leave her and I'm still going to love her and the kids. And she decided that she was going to stay with me, thankfully. Uh, I know multiple people that that did not work out for. And so I'm very thankful to my wife that she stayed with me. And, um, and yeah, we're working through it. It hasn't always been easy. There's been some heated moments. Um, but we've always came together and I think our relationship is actually stronger now because we don't believe the same thing, but we still choose to love each other through it. And how did you tell the kids? And of course, I'm also wondering, do you still sometimes join them when they go to church regardless? So there hasn't been an exact moment of where we got the kids together and we said, okay, kids, dad's an atheist, mom's a Christian, but, uh, you know, we don't do our nightly prayers anymore that we used to do. We don't pray before meals. Ultimately, we're still the same family, but I do ask questions to get them thinking about it. And that's really what I found is the most effective way to to get anybody thinking is just to ask questions, not to tell them they're wrong, 
but to ask questions to get them thinking. Have people from the church tried to reach out and change your mind? I mean, I would assume that there were pastors or especially from your work as a youth pastor, uh, people you were working with uh, during that time who were completely shocked. And yeah, sure. There were plenty of, of pastors and other youth pastors that I had sat down and talked with. I actually was a, was a time where I would seek out other pastors to go talk to about this to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. And of course they thought I was. Um, but ultimately it came down to evidence and you know, there is not sufficient evidence to believe this. And so it doesn't matter who I met with or I found that it always came down to faith. And for me, faith is, you can have faith in anything. There is, you know, no standard for faith. Uh, and faith is not a good way to determine truth. And so for me, even though I did meet with these pastors and they would try to get me back on the straight and narrow, I never found any of their arguments to be compelling enough to have me, you know, convinced that Christianity is true. Does your lack of belief have any impact on your workplace? So I thought that it would be a separate thing. But what I'm finding is that my workplace, you know, I'm friends with them on social media and a lot of them see what I do and a lot of them come and talk to me about it. Uh, and I have actually been surprised that there are Christians that completely disagree with me, but it is surprising to me because they are actually more open and accepting to me than even some of my family members have been. Um, but yeah, it's definitely brought the conversation to work more than I ever thought it would or wanted to. Uh, but other than that, it hasn't affected anything. My work is very professional. My bosses are very, very professional. And even though they know where I stand, they don't bring it up. And so I'm appreciative of that. Uh, but yeah, my coworkers definitely do not mind talking about it. And we've had some good conversations, uh, uh, you know, aside from work about this and it's brought us closer together i think and made it made it better for us to work together what do you miss the most when you look back i mean working with kids i i can see your, your eyes light up when you talk about your own kids and i i can imagine that the the work as a youth pastor was also very fulfilling for you on on levels that do not necessarily involve faith what are some things that you miss from that time yeah, I miss having relationship with students. I miss having an impact, making a difference with students. Um, many of you may not know this. When we first got married, my wife and I, we moved to Hawaii uh, for a year and, and did ministry there with a church. And we got to meet students that aren't from Southern America and that have these different beliefs or no beliefs. And so for them, you know, talking about the support structure, there there was none. And talk about the family and the community, there was none. And so for us to be able to go into this place and love on kids and just tell them that they're worth living for and that they're they're an important thing and that they're they're smart and they're okay just the way they are. Um, man, I miss that part of it. I miss being able to love on students. And for me, it's so sad that 
you know, once you once you're a pastor, everybody trusts you, right, with their kids. But if you're an atheist, nobody trusts you with their kids. But it's so sad because I'm still the same Dustin that loves teenagers and, and wants to help them in their lives and make a positive impact. Um, and so I definitely miss that the most is being able just to just to love on them and and teach them a little bit about life. So now that that part is gone, essentially from one moment to the next, how do you channel that desire to help kids? What can you do now to still have a positive impact on the lives of kids without a church being in the background of all of that? Yeah, so now I don't know. There's there's not a lot of secular uh, programs, especially for schools, that come in and just you know, let us have an impact on these teenagers' lives. Um, it would be amazing if there was, but what I found is most are religious. And, and even when I was a youth pastor, we had a program where we could go in and almost be a big brother type of thing. But it, again, it was religious, and it had, you know, religious backing. And so I don't know. I definitely think that there needs to be a better or, or more programs that just adults can go in and have an impact on students without there being a religious undertone. And, you know, there's so many kids that need our help and need our support without <laughs> strings attached of religion. Now, there are a couple of ways that I like to help teenagers. We do uh, atheists helping the homeless, and there are teenagers that come and help. I, I do a, a live uh, call-in show um, where I know that teenagers are listening, and so I always try to be conscious of that. But being a teenager is hard. You know, it is definitely the, some of the hardest times of your life, not to uh, mention if you throw in that there's a guy that's going to be disappointed with you if you, you know, do the wrong thing. And so, yeah, I definitely think that there needs to be more of an uh, of a, a few programs uh, that we can go in and just help have an impact. I believe many will agree that the United States is often viewed as a Christian nation. In God We Trust is the mantra printed on our currency and license plates, and often you seem to notice more churches than fast food restaurants, especially when taking a drive through the South. According to the Religious Landscape Study conducted in 2007 and 2014, and as reported by the Pew Research Center, 70.6% of people in the United States identify as a member of some group belonging to the Christian faith, while only 22.8% identify as unaffiliated, meaning either atheist or agnostic or nothing in particular. At the same time, similar studies conducted as part of the Eurobarometer survey of 2019 find that the number of people who identify as non-believers in European countries is a lot higher often even above 50%. Why do you think there's such a remarkable difference between Europe and the United States, despite all of the common values and economic goals both geographic areas seem to share? And I will add that uh, when I was preparing for this interview, I did find some smaller scale studies that seem to indicate that the number of non-believers in the United States is actually increasing as well. So kind of coming closer to the European levels, so is atheism on the rise? Do you think America is losing her faith? There is so much that goes into that answer that it would be impossible to answer in, in this podcast. But I will say 
uh, a part of the reason is that it is so ingrained in our culture that, you know, we're all born atheists. We all don't believe in a God whenever we're born. Uh, and then somewhere along the way, we get told these things and we believe them. And so in a culture that has a church on every corner, no matter how far you go, uh, and from the songs that we sing to, you know, I was listening to some country music on the way over here. And even in country music, just secular country music, there's a mention of God. It is literally f- woven into the fabric of America and we cannot get away from it. And so from a young age, if you're hearing about this God from every avenue, then there's no way that that child, unless they're just a critical thinker from birth, that they're going to get away from it, you know? And so why is it like that? Um, And why does it continue to be like that? You know, ever since I started doing my show, I'm amazed of how it is almost like a virtue to set away, set aside knowledge, set aside logic, reason, critical thinking, in order to maintain these beliefs. Um, I mean, the Bible does say to do that, but it, it is fascinating to me how we can set aside critical thinking in order to to hold on to these beliefs. Uh, but it's so easy, too, when it is ingrained everywhere you look and see there's, uh, you know, iconography of Christianity. But do you think that atheism is on the rise? I mean, these are just statistics. These are, you know, numbers. There, there are always people behind numbers. Uh if if that is in fact true, why do you think that is, and how do you see this development happening? Well, I think a lot of that comes down to science and what we're learning in science and and being able to question these things and not satisfied with the answers that were given by pastors or, or other church leaders. Um, when we look at the, the Bible saying it's 6,000 years old, uh, and we just see evidence that is directly opposing that, then you have one of two options. You either say, okay, this is not true, or you have to say that that's not a literal interpretation. And the more and more times we do that, you know, I, and I did it myself when I was a Christian, where you have to move the goalpost, continue to move it, continue to move it as science you know, if understands more and more, you have to say, well, God didn't mean that literal. He meant that figuratively. And so as you continue to do that more and more, more questions come up. And eventually you come to a point where, you know, you're just not convinced that it's true anymore. And I think that's only going to get worse as, or I say worse, but it's going to get better as we do understand more and more about the reality that we're living in. And, you know, you're only going to be able to hold on to that faith so much until the whole Bible is metaphorical and you just believe in God because you want to at that point. So one thing I mentioned earlier is that obviously now the Bible is no longer a book of meaning to you. Where do you find your strength? Like what is it that encourages you and that helps you keep your sanity when things get rocky? Yeah, so I've always been a realist. Even when I was a Christian, like, yeah, I did find hope in, in God, but I also realized that, you know, good things happen and bad things happen, and you just take it on the chin and you go with it. And as a Christian, I thank God for the good times, and I thank Him for the bad times. Uh, now, 
you just live through them. You know, it, it's such a a bubble that Christianity is. You know, the bad things come from Satan, so you thank God for the good things and you trust Him in the bad things. When in reality, bad things just happen, and so. Yeah, I think for me, whenever I'm going through bad times, I, I'm an optimist. I look at the positives in, a, in almost every situation, but I look at how, how we handle the situation. You know, what I, I don't think there is necessarily an objective hope, but there is a hope in almost every single situation that good would come out of it. And it's up to you to find that good. We're all going to die. Obviously, religion is something that gives people great comfort in times of sickness, in times of facing death. Are you afraid to die? What do you think is going to happen once you die? Great question. I don't know what's going to happen when I die. But I do know this. So the only evidence that I've seen, and I've studied near-death experiences, or at least I've studied studies of near-death experiences, and the odd part about it is no matter what religion you come from, we all seem to have very similar near-death experiences. Um, and so that's ironic in itself. So you have to ask yourself, what is going on here? And so if it's not the religion, then what is it? Um, and it's the fact that our body's dying and things are shutting down. And so, yeah, our brain does some weird stuff. So what happens after we die? The evidence points to nothing uh, but the same thing before you were born, which is a state of non-existence, which blows my mind. I don't know about you, uh, but it blows my mind. And so I don't know. I hope that there's something after we die. I really, truly do hope we continue living on. But I have to ask the question, where were you before you were born? You know, where was your consciousness and different people have different answers for that, but I don't think it was anywhere. And so I think that's the exact same thing that happens when we die. And it's hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to find comfort in that. But at the same time, I think it's comforting uh, that the, that we have life now, and it makes life that much more precious uh, here on Earth. And so where does my comfort come from? I have comfort that we have this life now, and you know, I don't really need much more than that to have comfort. And I certainly don't need a story to believe in to find comfort in if it's not true. Why do you think many people end up discovering religion or coming to Jesus at the end of their lives? When everything is said and done, you have people who on their deathbeds, asked to see a preacher, asked to have a conversation about it. Why do you think that is? Well, I think a lot of that has to do with what we just said, the fear of the unknown and wanting to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good <laughs> if I do die uh, and, uh, and there is an afterlife that I want to be ready for it. But my question is, how do they know <laughs> Which one? Why do you call a, a Christian pastor and not a Muslim pastor? It just happens to be the one that you grew up around. Um, and so that would be a good question that I would have for them. Um, but yeah, just to make sure that we're all good before we pass away. I remember, you know, being in ministry, I, I was with a lot of folks around their last moments. And 
there was always the it was always one of two things either they were completely peaceful they were ready to go or they were scared to death and honestly it had no uh, what their religion was had no effect on that i knew heavily religious people that were not ready to go and i knew non-religious people that were peaceful and ready to go and it, it had no effect on it so Again, going back to near-death experiences and all that stuff, you know, religion does not seem to have an effect on that as much as you know, just life experience in general. Now, you worked as a youth pastor. People took their kids to come and see you. You would spend time with those kids. And obviously, you had you yourself had a profound impact on the lives of those kids. And probably you're personally responsible for some of those kids having a come to Jesus moment and being saved and now being in this religion. How do you feel about that now that you may be responsible for some of those kids now being stuck in something that you yourself consider to be misguided? Yeah, the the only way I can compare it to is a teacher that, you know, when I was in school, I was taught that Pluto was a planet. And it's certainly not as important as religion, but at the same time, uh, those teachers taught me something that is not true, right? Uh, but they were doing what they thought was the truth. And that's all I can say that I was doing was I thought that I was teaching truth. Now, that being said, there are a lot of students that I had that come up to me now and they say, Dustin, regardless of what you believe, I'm, I still love you. And I know that they're still believers. I know they are. Uh, but they say, I, you know, I still love you no matter what you believe. And I think that has more of a statement than anything, is that when I was a youth pastor, more than anything, I taught love. I thought that we were, or I taught that we were human beings and that we should love in each other. And, and ultimately, a lot of scripture that Jesus talked about was loving your neighbor. And so I'm fine with that. And, 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 you know, as much as I don't think the Bible is true, uh, I still love those students. And I hope that they can understand at least as much as I believed that I was teaching the truth more than anything, I taught love. And I hope that that resonates with the students more than anything else that I taught. Do you think there is anything anyone could do? realistically with your mindset now that would be able to change your mind is there anything that anyone could do to have you return to being a christian yeah that is a tough one uh i, I want to say yeah obviously if i was to be shown evidence that this god exists and he's real uh, you know, a God that does not actually manifest in reality is no different than a God that doesn't exist at all. And so for me to believe, the time to believe is 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 when you've been presented evidence. So what would change my mind? Just evidence. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it would be. But I cannot believe until I see that sufficient evidence. Now, from there, uh, would I worship this God of the Bible? I don't know if I could. 
with the with the genocides and the and the awful things without going into too much detail without the awful things in there sure we can love everybody i would worship that god uh but to worship a god that has strings attached and and may send people to eternal torment for just not believing i don't know if that's a god that i could worship so could i ultimately be convinced he exists sure show me the evidence but if not then no now you mentioned you have a facebook live call-in show that you air every week and I actually tuned in and it was very interesting because you have people calling in and agreeing with you, but you also have a lot of people of faith, mostly Christians calling in to discuss, sometimes to debate and often to try and convince you to return to Jesus. What made you launch the show, first of all? Well, I wanted a, an avenue for discussion to be held. I want to provoke thought and reason and logic and critical thinking and the best way to do that is to have discussion. And so I wanted a place for that discussion to happen and for other people to be able to listen in on that discussion. I met with a lot of pastors. I met with a, a lot of church leaders. And I loved the discussion that we were having, but I I was always disappointed that nobody else heard them because I feel like if they did, uh, then they would be you know, thinking even more about about my side of things than they had been taught their whole life. And so I wanted to start a show to, yeah, provoke thought, discussion, um, but also just to be able to give my side of things and tell my story and why I wasn't convinced of Christianity anymore. And um, I think it's been a success so far. I uh, always look forward to callers. And listen, uh, as you know, you have a podcast, and I'm here, and I'm sure you're thankful for me being here. I am genuinely thankful for every caller that decides to give their time to call in and discuss with me. They don't have to do that, but I'm appreciative of that. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Now, you're not on your live show right now. You're on my podcast. But if you could ask those people listening out there, let's say— Maybe we have 50% Christian, 50% atheist listening right now. What question would you ask them that you want them to answer? Both sides. How do you know, and this is for the Christians, how do you know that the feelings that you have for God are real and not just a product of what you've been taught to believe? Because I know you feel them strongly, and I get that. But how do you know those feelings are real? And so that's my question for the Christians. For for the non-Christians, my question is the same one that that I've been asked several times, is what would convince you? Because it's something to seriously to, to think about and contemplate. What would convince you that Christianity was true? I know for me, a miracle in Jesus' name would probably be it. But, you know, even then I would have questions and doubts. Uh, but it would certainly get me closer so what would it be for you? What what would convince you? But I would love to hear Christians answer, you know, how do I know the difference between what I just feel and how do I know if it's true? Because I know for me as a Christian, a lot of it had to do with feeling. And uh, yeah, I would love to hear their take on that. So coming back to your show, uh, this is your chance to just throw it all out there. If people want to continue this conversation, which has been a very, very interesting one, uh, and if they want to find out more about you, then obviously they need to, you know, call my hotline number, 
record some questions because I would love to have a follow-up with you. But also, you do have a website yourself and there are some things that you offer to people who might be questioning or who might be just wanting to debate you, have a discourse with you. How can they get in touch with you? Yeah, we do have a website. It is beyondbeliefshow.live. On there, we uh, have links to our Facebook, our YouTube, and we just want people to, to join the conversation just like we're doing today. You know, we are all human beings going through this journey together. And regardless of what you believe, I want to know about what you believe. I want to hear about your experiences. I want to know why you you believe the way you believe. And it's not going to be an attack on you or your beliefs, but it's simply a discussion. Uh, especially if you think I should believe the way you do. I want to know about that and why. And so, yeah, check out beyondbeliefshow.live. Uh, join the conversation. Don't be afraid to speak out. Um, and I look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much, Dustin. This was fascinating, very interesting, and I hope that our listeners will send plenty of questions our way and that we can have you back for a follow-up. Thank you very, very much for your time. Yeah, it was great being on here. I appreciate you having me, and I look forward. I do hope you bring me back sometime. And that's a wrap, friends. Meeting people and hearing their story never ceases to amaze me. I'm kind of glad we have no cameras here, and you cannot see my goosebumps and my maybe not so dry eyes throughout some of these interviews. <laughs> anyway, I want to mention a few things. First of all, please check out our website. It is www.thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. That's www.thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. We even have a merch store now. So if you enjoy our show, and if you have the resources to support it in a meaningful way, Plus, if you would like to show the world that you are a true thoughtvolutionist or story sharer, please check it out. There are some really cool shirts, hoodies, and hats that I designed just for you. Well, and for me too. <laughs> Now, of course, I hope you have plenty of questions for Dustin or any of our other guests, and you can get those questions or comments to us in a number of ways. Firstly, don't forget to visit Dustin's website. That is www.beyondbeliefshow.live. That's www.beyondbeliefshow.live. You can find out more about him and join his live shows to directly interact with him there. You can also send us questions for Dustin, as we hope to have him back for a follow-up show soon. You may call us at 864-501-5033, that is 864-501-5033, and leave us a voicemail message. There's also Facebook and Instagram, we are Thoughtvolution there. Um, and there's also a contact form on our website, again that's www.thoughtvolutionpodcast.com, and of course you can email us. That email address is info at thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. So now... Of course, it is your turn. Yes, you. Put down that cup of coffee, cup of tea, glass of wine, whatever, and get in touch with us. Because I really, really, really want to hear your story. I have had people tell me before that they thought they were boring and that they felt insignificant, small, unimportant, when in reality, they just needed to be given an opportunity to tell their story. We all carry experiences and tales within us that are meant to inspire, empower, and encourage others. Your quote-unquote boring or insignificant story might be what somebody out there needs to hear today 
to make that rough day just a little bit better. So please let others know what it's like to be you. Contact us. I would be honored to share your story on this podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Um, I guess I will talk to you all next week. And until then, be safe and please be kind to each other. 